Who and what is Caleb Teicher? This is the question posed by New York Times dance critic Alistair McCauley following Caleb's January 2018 performance at the Joyce Theater in Manhattan. So what's the answer? He's a critically acclaimed dancer, choreographer, director, and teacher. He works in various styles and genres, including tap, jazz, swing, and social dance. He's the director and administrator of his own company, while simultaneously headlining as a solo performer around the world. Oh, and he's 24 years old. It seems the answer to Macaulay's question may lie in the unknowable, and Teicher wouldn't have it any other way. I've tried to subvert expectations whenever possible. and not because, you know, I'm trying to keep people on their toes, just because it's what feels right. I really enjoy challenging myself to new things. I enjoy challenging other people to, to consider new ideas. And I think it's, uh, it's if, if there's anything aggressive about me, it's, it's an aggressive push to, to do something new so that I may learn from it. I'm Nick Kepley, and this is In Step, a podcast that explores the practice and process of becoming a choreographer. Join me today for my discussion with the prodigious and elusive Caleb Teicher. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for being with me today. Um, I am genuinely so excited to talk to you. Like, I feel like I don't even know where to start because I was reading up on you last night and I, there's just so much to unpack, I feel like with you and kind of so much that I don't know how it came about. So the first question I always ask people when they're on here is, how did dance find its way into your life? I, I came into music first, actually. I had a great interest in rhythm. My, my father was a studio singer for about three decades. He sang a lot of early demos for Burt Bacharach and the original Hello, Dolly! and Promises, Promises demos and has a, a very strange and fun career in that way in that he got to be excellent at what he did but was not... A, a popular recording artist or not a successful popular popular recording artist so he he practiced his craft and he was incredible and he no one ever knew his name and for three decades he sang every jingle so he was always playing piano in my house and I had an interest in music and my parents put me in drum lessons actually I put myself in drum lessons uh, it was it was a mutual decision <laughs> uh, at the age of six or seven and I was quite good at it, but I also think I had a fantastic teacher. Her name was Ellen Alexander. And from there, when I was 10 years old, I saw tap dance on television, and I said, oh, that, that, that's cool. I should try that. It's kind of like drumming, but you're standing up, and you're only using your feet. And mm-hmm. I took my first tap class that year, and it snowballed into me being here at some point. Uh, but it really just started as a curiosity, as it does for most kids. Wow. And so you were how old when you took your first tap class? took my first tap class at 10 years old. And then I I kind of got forced into taking jazz and ballet and really did not like it in middle school. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, now I, like, love jazz dance and want to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, my first interest was always in music and rhythm and musicality. It wasn't necessarily in line or shape or Mm -hmm. quality. I think I... I learned to appreciate those things as the time went on. Mm -hmm. And you graduated early from high school, is that right? I did. And you moved straight here to start auditioning? I did. I wanted to go to a performing arts high school, but the logistics of doing that when you're not from New York City uh, is quite difficult. So my parents and I agreed that I would graduate early and take my senior year as a gap year. And that 
gap year has turned into a gap life. <laughs> but the, the first year in New York, I was quite lonely and I didn't, didn't know exactly what I was doing. I think a lot of people who say, I'm going to move to New York and be a dancer, don't entirely understand what that means. And while I, I thought I had a good idea of what that meant, it, it turned out to be very different. Luckily, I'm very happy with what it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. But I moved here, I took a lot of class. I tried to hang out with people and talk to people and hear about their lives. Uh, I started auditioning, but musical theater was not really what I was gunning for. Because um, did you sing too? As well? I did, yeah. but um, you know, truthfully, I've actually never found my joy singing in musicals. I really enjoy singing. I sing down the street all the time. Mm-hmm. I just did a duet concert two weeks ago where all we do is sing and dance for an hour. But I've, I've often felt constricted um, or restricted singing in musicals. So that's a whole other story. All that to say, I moved here, and probably the, the thing that convinced me to uh, continue dancing in New York and, and following the path that I would started to carve for myself was joining Michelle Dorrance's company, which was just forming at the time. It's now known as Dorrance Dance. It's a, a massive success to the, to the dance world. It's kind of like the, the greatest success story of the dance world in the past decade, at least, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle's company was completely revolutionary for tap dancers and for the tap dance community, but also for the concert dance community. It combines dance and music and rhythm in a way that was really exciting uh, and kind of made a big splash on the dance scene. I won a Bessie Award in 2011 for my performance in a work in an evening of work by Michelle Dorrance and Dormisha Sumbri Edwards. I danced in both of their works, and that was that was enough for me to say I probably should spend at least one more year before I before I go to college. And, and did you just attend an open call for Michelle? Is that how that? You know? I met Michelle in a pay to play program as a teenager, and I say pay to play meaning. I went to, you know, uh, the American Tap Dance Foundation said, pay $200 and you get to take a, a week of classes with Michelle. And then at the end, like, you'll get to perform in a piece for her. Mm-hmm. So I met her in that, in that respect originally, but I was 14. And then I moved to New York. I was 17. And I walked into her class at Broadway Dance Center and I said, hey. She said, oh, what are you doing here? I said, I live here now. She said, you live here. And, <laughs> And got very excited, and I guess in her mind, that was, that was when she was trying to put the pieces together for her company, or at least for this evening of work at Dance Space Project, and I was there, and I didn't have much else going on, and I was really excited to dance for her. It was kind of a, a dream job that fell into my lap within the first year of being in New York, which doesn't happen, mm-hmm. usually, from, mm-hmm. what I, from what I hear. Right. And so much of your style and sensibility is kind of that, like old school like swing vernacular do do you think that came from your childhood like from listening to your your dad's music or where do you think like how did that start for you how did that influence come into your life I guess so I think I just find certain styles of music and certain genres of music really appealing uh, for their quality and for what they express and for the way they relate to rhythm and harmony and I think I tend to want to make pieces to music or dance to music that I find, you know, movable, danceable. Uh, I think I often, when I make work, the music comes first or the desire for a particular piece of music comes first. Uh, I would say being a tap dancer definitely mm. brought an understanding and appreciation of jazz music into my life earlier than it 
happens for most people. Mm -hmm. Or I guess, you know, some people don't appreciate jazz music at all, you know, whatever. But for me, I think tap dance is so closely tied to the jazz dance and jazz music tradition that I grew up dancing to On a Clear Day and Night and Day and it's wonderful. And that's the music that I guess I get sort of sentimental about now because I think about my earliest dance lessons. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess technically the first song I ever tap danced to, I remember doing my first tap dance exercise to The Remedy by Jason Mraz. (laughs) And so I was part of that generation that was like, yeah, rock music and tap dance and all that stuff. And then uh, that kind of fell away. Yeah. And then at some point you decided that you might want to go back to school and then the West Side came up, right? Will you talk about that period of your life? Yeah, uh, I after I won the Bessie Award, this was fall of 2011, I, I had this this fear in my heart for some reason that I was going to tap dance forever. And what a, what a beautiful idea. But I was 18, and I really wanted to make sure that my journey of learning and challenging myself and trying new things didn't end because I had won an award that said I was very good at one particular thing. So I started aggressively pursuing other forms of employment or work that allowed me to do things other than exclusively tap dance. I found musical theater to be a really good avenue for that because it involved a lot of the dance skills that I had already cultivated, but allowed me to exercise them in a different way. And I also started doing contemporary dance and whatnot. But So the following year, I was back in class and I was working and I was starting to do some musicals. And I decided to audition for Juilliard, and I got in. And around that same time, I had auditioned for the West Side Story Tour that travels around Europe, and I got that too. And those calls came within a couple days of one another. And I, at the time, I was doing a regional theater production of The Music Man down in Vero Beach, Florida. And I remember sitting by the beach, just thinking, what the heck am I going to do with the next year to four years of my life? And I ultimately decided to... Uh, decline uh, going to school and go on tour, not because I thought that Westside was a more valuable experience than Juilliard, but because I imagined all the other things I could do in the four years following uh, Westside. You know, Westside was a year-long commitment, so after that year ended, I had three more years, and I didn't have debt from school. Right. And also, uh, I have a, a great amount of respect for Juilliard as, a, as an institution, but they are not deeply invested in supporting the dance traditions that I am most interested in. Mm -hmm. Meaning tap dance, swing dance, vernacular jazz, all these dance traditions that kind of feel best in my body and in my mind are not things that they're focused on. And they don't have to be, but then I don't have to be there. (laughs) Right. So what was that like? I mean, had you done any acting growing up? Or like, what was that switch into musical theater like for you? I I had a wonderful voice and acting teacher in New York who was a big mentor to me. His name is Andy Gale. He's fantastic. He's still teaching and actively coaching and performing himself. I encourage you to find him. And he he kind of watched me and talked with me and also taught me through, through uh, finding new ways to express myself other than just moving my body and making music with my body on stage. But I think Andy has a really organic way of saying that all of these things are a part of who you are as a person. All these things come out of your mind and your body and your mind and body. They're the same thing. And he never made me feel like acting was very different from dancing or that singing was very different from dancing. It's all using the body. It's all engaging with theater Mm -hmm. and timing 
and uh, emotion and expression. So the, the transition felt very natural. I'd say for me, like the most thrilling part of West Side was not the acting, it was the dancing. And it was the dancing to a 23-piece orchestra every night. And the original Robbins choreography is just is stellar. But it all just sort of, as I feel now, it feels like an extension of, of what I already feel like I, quote, do. It's interesting, you know, you strike me as such a, like, authentic person. Um, is it, was it ever hard for you or challenging for you, like, in the audition scenario of musical theater, which can sometimes feel very, like, pushed or forced you know what I'm saying like yeah. I mean it's just it's just a strange environment like you know was that what was that like I was really bad at auditioning and I still am and I did not get a lot of work in musical theater because of it and I think now in 2018 with a few years since I've I've done a musical I'm totally okay with that I think I truthfully pushed myself to want to do musicals and do the Broadway thing for so long in a particular way. And then at some point I realized that why was I pushing for it so much if it didn't feel right? Mm-hmm. Um, auditioning in particular, I always found just quite hilarious. Uh, and I think, I mean, yeah, truthfully, I just didn't get that many jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time I said, oh, it's because I'm young or it's because I look young or it's because I have a, a very low voice <laughs> and I can't sing the the stuff that they want you to sing to be a newsie. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't think in my heart of hearts I wanted to be a newsie, and I think they saw that, and truthfully, I'm really glad that I never got that show, or I never got a lot of the shows that I didn't get. It's hard to see that at the time. It's hard to see a lot of things at the time. Uh, but I I haven't auditioned since 2014, and can't say I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> We started InStep in the hopes of creating a space for choreographers to draw inspiration and knowledge from their peers. If you enjoy listening to our in-depth conversations, consider subscribing to us on Apple iTunes. We'd also appreciate your ratings and comments as they help us spread the word to more of the dance community. Thank you. So I'm curious how choreography started coming into your life. Was that something you had always been interested in? Definitely. My father was a singer and songwriter. My mother was an editor for magazines. Mm-hmm. And my brother is a uh, journalist. Mm-hmm. So I think the writing bug is in the family. But I also, within my first six months of taking tap class, I had already choreographed my first solo for myself. And I think... It's a, it's a compulsion that comes from the desire to learn. I think we learn a lot when we make work. I think that's why a lot of people who are dancers have, quote, dabbled in, in making work and why a lot of people choose to dabble in making work more than they do in, in performing work because there's so much to learn about yourself and to learn about dance from making, from making work. Mm-hmm. So when I made my first solo for myself as a 10-year-old, I wasn't thinking, oh, man, this is my... This is my opus. <laughs> I was I was just trying to learn mm-hmm. about how dances are constructed and how rhythm works and how my body works. And it was something I started doing once or twice a year. I'd make myself a solo. I'd make a little group piece with some dancers at the studio. And I remember I got paid to choreograph for a, a nearby studio for the first time when I was 
15, and I thought that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I didn't even care that I got paid that much. I mean, that was nice. But more importantly, it was just nice to feel that someone wanted me to make something and that I, I could do that. So uh, throughout my first three or four years in New York, I was making work here and there, but it wasn't really my focus. And in 2014, 2015, I made a 10-minute work, and that felt massive. All of my works prior had been like five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. And making that 10-minute work inspired me to extend it to a 20-minute work, mm-hmm. inspired me the following year to make like five separate 25-minute works. Mm-hmm. And uh, and is that how Caleb Teicher and company began? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of people that have companies, it's it's sort of a, a, a flag that you wave when you make work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, mm-hmm. I you know... We're not even incorporated yet, mm-hmm. although we're on our way. Uh, but and I work with a regular group of dancers, but it's a fluid group, meaning they they also dance for three other companies. That's sort of how the dance world works, and I enjoy it that way. But yeah, that that first ten minute work received a lot of good feedback, and people said you should keep going. There was a nice little Times mention that said you should keep going, mm-hmm. and I received opportunities from that from the video I took of that performance. And from the little press clippings I had of its first two performances in New York, and were were those narrative um, influenced at all, or was it just like pure pure dance? Or uh, talk about like what the works were like. Yeah, that's funny. I I guess I never really thought about something being pure dance versus being narrative, because I think that music that doesn't have lyrics still can tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the same way that a, I I think a pure dance can have a narrative, and I think a narrative can have pure dance. Uh, so I guess I don't really define my pieces that way, which is probably a way of saying, yes, they're dance works, but I'm sure if you are open or interested in finding a story, there's definitely a story there. Mm -hmm. I think there's usually a pretty strong logic, internal and external to the works I make. Mm -hmm. I, I have a great interest in communicating to an audience clearly and effectively. And a lot of the work I've made maybe it doesn't involve like this person's name is Jim and this person's name is Joe and these you know it there's still this idea that there's relationship and there's progression through the piece and and things change or people change or you know yeah it seems kind of the nature of audiences and and humans to look for some kind of meaning or story like in whatever they're looking at like you know when you go to the art museum and they're like what does this mean you know and I kind of go back and forth with whether I want to like provide that or talk to someone about that or if I want them to kind Mm -hmm. of just take it in you know like do you have any thoughts on that yeah well I think it's also we my one of my favorite things about dance is that it doesn't have to be literal Mm -hmm. I think when you go to see Carousel on Broadway they want you to get a particular story out of it and when you go see a dance work even if it's a narrative dance work you may not get exactly the same thing as the person next to you and while for some people that can seem a bit uh disarming i I find that to be one of the greatest values of dance the the ambiguity and the and the room for interpretation from the audience as opposed to this is what it is how do you feel about it they say what do you think about what's going on here and it actually allows the audience to have more time and space to process their own feelings Mm -hmm. Um, i also think there's some magic of having people sit in the room and having no one really talk for an hour. And that's, you know, it's so rare mm-hmm. um, to, to, to see dances, to sit in the room where no one's talking. Mm. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's great. <laughs> um, 
so speaking of that, you know, I, I feel like nowadays it's, it's so easy. Like we feel so isolated kind of from each other. And, um, and I've heard you speak about this before, you know, as, as I was researching for today. And I was just curious to hear more of your thoughts on like, especially social dance, like particularly swing dance, you know, how, like, what do you think is, is the role of that? Or is there a way that we can use that in our society today to like bring us more in touch with each other? I said this to someone, can't remember if it was on or off the record, that I, I often think about all the things that generally uh, we are doing better, you know, as a society. And I think we're doing most things better, but I don't know if we're social dancing better. Mm. Like, I think we generally cook better. I think, like, literacy is up. I think, I think there's, there's a lot of progress, but I don't know if we dance better than our grandparents did mm-hmm. uh, at large. I, of course, like, you know, like the people who are incredible dancers now, I do think have made um, progress over our, over our uh, forebears. But I think we really need dance. Uh, and, you know, maybe not everyone, but I think I really need dance because I, it connects me to my body and it connects me to other people in a way that, that feels right to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's a great environment to learn about consent, to learn about communication, mm-hmm. to learn about how to respect other people mm-hmm. and respect yourself at the same time, uh, to listen and be present. Yeah. All those things that they tell you that you should be doing and you're like, but how? I do think swing dance and the swing dance community has taught me a lot about how to communicate with other people, how to leave space for other people, and how to um, learn about yourself while being with someone else. I, I learned a lot about myself as an individual human by learning solo dance forms, meaning tap dance, jazz dance, ballet, modern class. You know, th- those all teach you how to relate to your body primarily. Partner dance was not something I really uh, experimented with too much until I found swing dance and it felt so right. Mm-hmm. It feels like a way to relate to a body that involves so much connection and communication. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I've, I just, I see it. I see people who have swing dance as part of their life and they are better for it. And while I don't think anything is for everyone, I, I don't even think dance is for everyone and that's okay. But I do think... Um, and this is something I'm kind of putting my putting my energy behind now. That that swing dance or social dance, any partner social dance form, can be a great way to overcome a lot of fears and tackle a lot of things that you feel about yourself in the world. Yeah, I got, I actually got really into swing dance a couple of years ago, and I was living in Austin. And, uh, and a guy told me one time, he was like, the best way to learn is to walk up to the best person in the room and ask them to dance, which is so scary, you know, like, but, but it does make sense. And, and it really does make you talk to people and, and be brave. And, um, and then like you're saying, like the trust, I, I, a lot of times, um, when I would dance, like lead with a follow, they'll like close their eyes and kind of like feel where you're at and, you know, and. Um, I am curious, though, to hear what you think of what I experienced, at least, as being a kind of a very heteronormative environment in the swing dance world. Like, how do you feel about that? That's very funny, because I feel that swing dance is queerer than most other social dance scenes that I've encountered. Mm. But that's also because I've primarily uh, been swing dancing, doing Lindy Hop in New York City. Mm. And I think New York is just a queerer community Mm -hmm. than most communities on this earth. Uh, I mean, 
actually to 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 bat back i am primarily a follow on the social dance floor mm. i i lead for performance sometimes but when i teach I, every once in a while i'll teach a swing dance class like with the with the company on the road or when i perform i am primarily a follow and uh i think the swing dance community and swing dance as a as a as a dance tradition is really set up to progress much more quickly than other uh, communities and traditions are. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sorry that you had that experience, and you know you're not the first person to say that um, they found they found a social dance scene to not be welcoming of their desire to dance with certain people or not dance with certain people. Um, but I do think I would encourage you to to go out dancing with me again. Okay. And, I, and I think you'd say, oh my gosh, you know, uh, that's actually one of my favorite things. When I go swing dancing, I look out and I see women dancing with women, men dancing with men, men and women dancing together, but the woman is leading and the man is following. There are three people dancing together. It's uh, the swing dance has, has really built itself to be a, a great vehicle, again, for you to find what you, what you would like to find. Yeah, it was interesting because it's not, it's not really necessarily that for my dance dancing that I cared like I don't really care if I lead or follow it was more like the what kind of where swing dance and all that originally came from which was like dating and like you know, meeting yeah. someone and I'm like well my dream would be that a man would come up and ask me to dance right now but it doesn't really feel like that's gonna happen you know like um yeah 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 I I mean it could happen in New York City certainly right now. right yeah <laughs> I believe that uh but uh yeah I think it's also the the narratives that we've created around social dancing. That social dance is about dating. Uh, social dance or dance in general is actually not really about dating or romance or sexuality. To me, it's just about being with other bodies. And while we tend to associate anything that involves the the body mm-hmm. with with uh, with sex and romance and dating and love, it could also just be about being with someone else's body. And that and that's kind of intimacy that we. Crave, and I, I don't think humans are going to evolve out of our desire to be with other bodies mm-hmm. for at least a couple centuries. So I, I think that desire, whether or not like your motives are like, oh, you know, I'd really love to like meet someone, uh, or I'd really love to just like spend time with someone else's body today mm-hmm. and like relate to them in some way physically. Uh, I think I think swing dance can provide that that uh, that space. This summer, Broadway Dance Lab is proud to launch our choreographic intensive, July 30th through August 5th in New York City. Aimed at aspiring choreographers age 18 to 29, the program offers unparalleled access to training from Broadway professionals. Participants will study and create choreography in various styles, attend a Broadway show, engage in artist talkbacks, receive backstage tours, and more. Visit www.broadwaydancelab.org forward slash choreo intensive instep will be right back talk a little bit about about your process now like when you're when you're in the studio um you know do you i mean i think bdl might have been a little bit of a different thing than normal for you or maybe i'm wrong but just like if you're gonna make a new dance like how do you how do you begin you i know you mentioned that music oftentimes is the inspiration point yeah, well, it's, it's music, but I think beyond that, uh, Bill T. Jones has this quote, which I, I love, and some friends of mine will, will giggle if they hear this, where he says, art is a participation in the world of ideas. And, and I do think that's, 
that's brilliant and also he would say something like that <laughs> but uh but yeah it's we're talking about putting ideas on the stage or on film or what have you and so sometimes the idea comes from a piece of music some you know music as as we tend to daydream to music tend, will will spark an idea and so that's why i think you hear a lot of choreographers say oh i heard this music and it gave me this idea mm-hmm. but sometimes the idea comes before uh the music let me let me give an example I knew I wanted to make a piece with this dancer, Nathan View. I thought he was remarkable. I thought if we were on stage together, we would make something. But what we would do together, what dance style we would be doing or what music we'd be dancing to was figured out later. It started with the idea of let's put these two people, myself and Nathan View, in a ring kind of like, you know, boxing style and just like let 25 minutes go by. Hmm. And we ultimately decided on dancing to Ella Fitzgerald's live recordings from Roman Berlin. And we ultimately decided to do a, uh, a mashup of Lindy Hop and Vernacular Jazz, Charleston, Blues, Smooth Ballroom, Soft Shoe, a lot of different jazz dance styles because those are the traditions that seem to fit best with the music that we were dancing to. Mm-hmm. Uh, in another example, I heard Sufjan Stevens' track Impossible Soul, which is a 26-minute piece of music, and I said, I have to make something to this, if only as an exercise in a, in a really bizarre musical composition. And I felt that there was a story within it. Um, and so I created it. Mm. Um, but so in one scenario, the, the, the cast came first. In another scenario, the music came first. Is your normal way of working like, I, ju- I just kind of thought of this, like the way jazz musicians kind of riff off each other. Like, is that sort of the way that you build dance oftentimes? Is it just kind of like getting in the room and kind of riffing off each other? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I, I would say that I'm a really laid back director as a choreographer Mm -hmm. because I I think I still feel some discomfort from the idea that like my job is partially to tell people what to do with their bodies Mm. and that feels so weird sometimes like we don't talk about that part where I'm saying like my job is to stand here and say please do this with your body and uh, instead of a demand it usually comes in the form of a request from me Uh, and instead of a request sometimes it also just comes from uh, I, I feel sometimes more like an arranger than a, than a director when I'm choreographing. I'm saying, well, here's, here are the materials that are in the room, and how do I provide the, the space for these materials to coexist peacefully? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a very different way of directing than saying, like, I need this to look like this, or I really want this moment to happen. I, I'm, I'm not likely to push. So it, it is very often that the, the idea comes first, and I get into a room, and I allow the, the, the process to develop as it will for that particular scenario. You know, mm-hmm. making one dance work is not anything like making another one. I'm sure you feel the same way. The way you approach making this one piece, if you try to do it with this other piece, it'll fall flat. Yeah. So you have to, you have to look at every, every project, every problem, every task as a completely new, uh, completely new idea. Yeah, which can be really hard when something goes really well, you know. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I want to do that again. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, but you also see how that could be detrimental. And it also prevents you from actually progressing or, or making something new. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've never made a sequel to a piece, and I don't really plan to. And also, as we know, like, sequels tend to be pretty bad, you know. That's why no, no one has made, like, a High Fidelity 2, the musical. <laughs> we, we haven't gone to sequel musicals yet, have we? Oh, there was High School Musical 2, the musical. Yeah. Uh, well, 
That's, that's a little different, yeah. But, I never thought know, about that. That's but, you true. know, we, we don't make sequels of musicals. We don't make sequels of dance pieces. Sometimes we'll, like, do, like, a, re, uh, a revisiting. Yeah, like a revival. Yeah, or, or something uh-huh. like that. But but there's a reason we don't make sequels of pieces. It's because we want we want to express new things in different ways. Mm-hmm. I was so struck when you were with BDL of your demeanor in the room. You know, you were so calm and and kind, but very in control still, you know? Like, I feel like you had a clear vision, but it was very giving, like what you're saying. Do you, where do you, where did that come from? I mean, is that something that you are conscious of, or is it just kind of naturally who you are? I am conscious of it, but I also don't have to work that hard to make that my, my way of doing it. I think if, if I were in a process where I feel like I had to yell and kick and scream to, to make something happen, it's just not worth it. It's not worth treating people poorly or, or pushing to do anything in particular. It's really, to, to my heart, I can just feel it. Like, it's really just not worth it. Mm-hmm. I think once, once I raised my voice in a rehearsal, I remember it still, mm. because a dancer missed an entrance because they were on their phone. And I <laughs> said, like, we can't do this. And I left the room. For, I said, we're taking five. And I left the room, and I came back, and I said, new rule. No phones in rehearsal. And that's the one time I think I ever got upset in a rehearsal, uh-huh. and I still remember it. Uh-huh. But it's because like there's there. I don't think the work is better for yelling and screaming, right? Or or fighting. Um, I actually don't believe in fighting. I'm I'm quite the pacifist, uh, literally and also like as a as a creator. Like why why are we fighting for things? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially like I find dance and the arts to be one of the few safe spaces in this world. Mm-hmm. Why should you feel like you need to? go into a rehearsal room and be like scared that someone's going to yell at you right also like do you think the work's going to be better that way i think uh part of that that beautiful like peace and balance we find in a in a group of dancers is it's a very fragile thing and it's very easy to throw off but i try to set up that environment so that it seems like a given that we're going to enjoy being on stage together Mm -hmm. that we're going to enjoy performing this work together and then everything else hopefully falls into place after that yeah I am curious if you ever um, feel like uh, like strong work comes out of difficult circumstance. Um, yes and no. I do think, I I think yes, maybe in some scenarios, like strong strong work comes out of difficult circumstances. But uh, maybe that's not my work, or better to say, maybe the difficult circumstances, not the creation of the work or the collaboration of the people in the room. Maybe it's just how you're feeling. And how ends and the the ideas that you want to tackle, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe it's difficult for you to confront certain feelings in a work. Uh, say you're presenting a work about violence or about um, you know how you feel. I I made a piece that essentially in a in a metaphor talked about how I felt being like a slightly more sensitive male than than what I felt. Uh, my dance communities were willing to accept. It, it involved me dancing in three different dresses over the course of a 26-minute work. Mm. Um, I'd never danced in a dress before. Mm-hmm. I'd never been in public in a dress before. Uh, and and that was difficult, but making the piece was a great joy uh, in the same way that, you know, sometimes it's, it's difficult maybe to talk about uh, something that uh, makes you feel emotional mm-hmm. or, or is, is tough for you to talk about, but also talking about it is a great release and a, and a great joy. Um, I want to read this quote by Alistair McCauley. Uh, it's a, from a review of your recent January 2018 performance at the Joyce. He says, um, Caleb Teicher is a tap dancer who is equally at home in other American folk forms, jazz, soft shoe, the Lindy, and he's funny, charming, elusive, seemingly always, seeming always to resist categorization. Um, and 
I really do feel like that's true of you. Like I, I, I find you the most wonderfully elusive kind of person, you know, like I think it's really cool. Um, do you, is that something that you, that you've tried to like cultivate in yourself? I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that you felt pigeonholed with the tap. So you went after something different. Like, is that kind of who you are? I guess so. I'm my, it's funny because my favorite part about that review is, is actually none of that. It's the (laughs) sentence before it, which is when he just wrote who and what is he? Yeah. Which I thought I'm like, please like, put that on the top of my website who and what is he uh-huh. like who what is he what a strange thing to say but I <laughs> I um, yeah I think I've I've tried to subvert expectations whenever possible uh, and not because you know I'm trying to keep people on their toes just because it's what feels right I really enjoy challenging myself to new things I enjoy challenging other people to to consider new ideas and I think it's a uh, it's if, if there's anything aggressive about me, it's it's an aggressive push to to do something new so that I may learn from it. Um, and so hopefully people learn with me. So if there's anything elusive about me, it's just that I really, I really like people uh, getting a sense of something in the world and then completely having having their 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 ideas about something kind of blown apart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so exciting when you go see a show of any kind, you say, oh, I, you know, I thought opera was this, and then I went to see Fall of the House of Usher, and now I have no idea what opera is. Mm-hmm. And so I would hope the same thing about someone coming to see my work. Um, oh, you know, I saw Caleb's work last time, and I saw it now, and I have no idea, like, what this dude's up to. Mm-hmm. And even better, it's, you know, then taking it even further back, I thought I knew what life was all about and then I saw this, and now I have no idea what life is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think to keep us constantly engaged and and listening and guessing uh, would be the healthiest thing that we could do. Yeah, you're so young. Do you ever worry about like how am I going to keep re- reinventing myself till I'm like thirty? Even Heck yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not all Madonna, you know, it's right? Like, exactly, uh, <laughs> or like Lady Gaga. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I would say that I've kind of transitions to making more work than dancing in other people's work uh, earlier than I, th- I thought I would. I thought this is the type of thing people become, quote, choreographers in their 30s. And I'm 24. And uh, I think the, the thing that I'm currently struggling with is balance, taking time off. Not I, I haven't burnt out, but creatively I haven't burnt out, but I do find myself tired. And my mom will say, oh, maybe you're not eating enough. And I said, no, I think I'm just doing a lot. And I think uh, I probably should give myself a bit more time off. I should give myself more time to daydream. I find that time really valuable. Um, But as far as burning out creatively, I don't know. I'm just like, I feel like I'm like overflowing with like ideas and desires to make things and a desire to learn new things by making things. Mm. When you do have a rare day off and you're looking for kind of like inspiration and refueling, what do you turn to? Like, do you like movies or books? Or I, I actually love going to the movies. Um, I'm a big movie person. I, you know, there's a reason I want to make shows and dances and things. It's because I love watching shows and dances and things. Uh, but I really enjoy walking around, just getting outside, especially now that the weather is nicer in New York City. It's going to be great to just like sit outdoors. I, I love reading. 
I'm like a big like sci-fi fantasy fiction person. Pretty much every night for the past half year, I've gone to bed watching Star Trek: The Next Generation. Like I'm <laughs> I'm that kind of person. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know. I really enjoy spending time with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy hanging out. Um, I'm not as some of them will probably write me after this and they'll say, yeah, you know, the one time a year we get to hang out. <laughs> but but when I do, I find it really valuable time just to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I actually love going social dancing. And then with your own career, like, are you interested in choreographing musicals? Or, where, like, where do you kind of want to see yourself going in the next five years? Yeah, to be honest, I'm actually, like, I'm not, like, a Broadway or bust person. Right. I'm not like, I've got to make it to Broadway. I think um, my desire has always been to make good work with great people. Uh, I had a really transformative experience at the age of 16 and 17. I went to Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival first as a student in their school. And then I went to the National Young Arts Foundation's Young Arts Week in Miami. And those two experiences confirmed one thing for me. I want to spend a good portion of my life trying to spend time with these people that I find to be excellence because when I'm with them I'm inspired to do better and when we make things together it's it's incredible it is it is that electric feeling that you look for in a collaboration again I don't think dance is for everyone I do think it's for anyone but I I often say that the work that my company does the work that I do making dances and performing dance is just meant to advocate for the people watching it to dance themselves that is that is something I feel really strongly about. I, I'm actually not as much of an advocate for people going to see dance as I am for them doing it. Mm. Um, yeah, and but I also think like when we say like why do people need dance, we're, we're not saying why do people need to watch dance? We're saying why do people need to move their own bodies? And I think the answer is for, for us to neglect certain parts of our minds that are attached to our body um, is, is to is to miss a lot of the human experience. Mm. If, you, if you're not moving your body, if you're not engaging with other bodies, if you're not learning about yourself as a, as a full human beyond, beyond the things that come out of our mouths and beyond the things that we hear and the things that we can like, touch with our hands, like what about all the other parts of our body that we're not engaging on a regular basis? I also think um, it's, uh, it's something that we all desire. Again, uh, I said earlier that we probably won't evolve out of our desire to like to move our bodies or or be with other people's bodies for centuries and that's really exciting i think that'll probably be when we're like doing like like long distance like space travel and it's like you have to be okay with being in a pod by yourself for years and then we'll evolve and mm-hmm. all that but um i think the desire to to connect to your own body and connect to other bodies is something that people spend a lot of money trying to replicate in like group fitness classes or like spend a lot of money going to certain parties hoping that they'll like meet someone and dance a little bit with them but I think dance regardless of the genre that you're practicing but particularly the social dance uh, forms that are that are still being practiced allow you to learn how how to communicate with other people in a physical way and how to communicate with yourself in a physical way mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a that's a skill that is currently undervalued um, as part of learning to enjoy yourself, uh, learning to process the world. Mm-hmm. Dance, dance is my way of processing the world. I think there are other ways to do it. I think some people do it through academics, through, through visual art, through writing and poetry, through 
many other things, many other things in the arts and the humanities and the sports. But for me, dance is how I process the world. And I think it's been one of the most valuable investments I've made in my life. Yeah, I mean, I think I the, the question I always ask at the end is why we need dance, and you kind of just talked about yeah. that. So it, that's, I mean, I think that's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I think we kind of hit it twice, actually. Yeah, and that's great. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I think this has been wonderful, and um, I, I mean, you are so young. I just really can't wait to see you know, what happens. It's, and who knows, maybe you'll hit 30 and you'll suddenly be like working in a corporate bank world. I think, it's, you know? I think it's very unlikely. I said to someone recently, uh, my, my partner and I split up in January. Uh, and one, uh, they were like, oh, so you're like on the market. I'm like, one, no. But two, also, uh, I, you know, they were saying, well, would you date someone like with an office job I said of course but like would someone with an office job want to date someone who's in town for three days every month and is not available usually after 6pm right um, uh, that being said for my own purposes I, I think as long as I can float in existence where like where I can do what I want to do and pay my rent and eat some food and see a movie every once in a while like I I'll probably keep doing this until I want to challenge myself in some other way. But the arts and humanities feel important to me. Yeah, they keep challenged. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much, Caleb. Thank you. InStep is produced by Broadway Dance Lab and hosted by Nick Kepley. You can listen to this program again, access our archives, and learn more about the company by visiting broadwaydancelab.org. 